This is episode seven of the Bookswell podcast. I'm your host, Cody Sisko, and I'm here with Irene Young. Hello. And Sarah Labrie. Hello. It's good to be back again. This is a year that doesn't seem to have slowed down at all. Nope. <laughs> but uh, summer's not here yet either, so that means there's some gray days when it makes sense to sit back with a book and enjoy it. Uh, what have you been reading lately? Um, what have I been reading lately? I read a book called Late in the Day by Tessa Hadley about two couples who have been best friends for their entire lives and the husband of one of the couples dies and it sends all the other three into a tailspin of like figuring out who they are now that like the linchpin of their little group is dead and Tessa Hadley is sort of known for being a more like literary author. She's like a writer's writer. So even though the plot is fairly straightforward, the sort of psychological depth of it has really stuck with me. Hmm. Hmm. I want to check that out. What about you? What have you been reading? Uh, I just finished The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls by Anissa Gray. Um, that one arrived in the mail from My Lip Box, which is like a subscription service. And it's about um, three sisters, one of whom is sent to jail for basically uh, robbing a town of charity money. Um, and it's about the fallout because she has two daughters and you know, now they go to live with their aunts and there's rivalries and everyone's carrying around trauma from, um, from their own childhoods and sort of working through it at the same time trying to care for their, these, their two nieces, basically. It was great. There were things that kept me on the edge of my seat and... Um, I'd recommend it. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was like a, it's very like mature mainstream kind of novel. Um, but with, you know, characters that were interesting, um, you know, it was a black family. Um, the, the writer herself is, um, lesbian. So there were elements that were woven throughout that just, that, that worked really well. Did you choose the book in the subscription service or did they choose it for you? They have two packages, and I don't remember the difference, except that one is like women writers of color. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's the one that comes every month. Um, I can't remember what the other one is. And at some point, I think maybe we should have my lip box on the podcast because um, she I met up with her at AWP and she's, you know, she started this from scratch and it's, it's a pretty cool idea. Have you guys been to any fun events lately? Yeah, I mean, um, so during these gray days, I haven't actually been curling up with books because things have been pretty busy with the um, the publishing workshop prep. But I did take the night off on Friday and make it down to the Ace Hotel Theater, which I'd never actually been to before. I guess it's the United Artists Theater for the pop-up magazine show. And it was really fun. <laughs> I didn't really know what to expect when I went in. I was like, is this going to be super precious? Is this going to be, you know. Um, but I thought it was great. It was like a really wonderful evening of storytelling. I thought they did a really nice job of uh, making the most of the medium. So, have either of you guys been to any of their events before? Mm -hmm. I've been to one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if you had a similar experience, but um, I just thought it was really, yeah, I mean, I was curious to see, like, what they would do with, like, a live performance of, I'm using air quotes, <laughs> here, <laughs> a magazine. <laughs> um, and so the idea being that, you know, they, they drew on... Um, writers and storytellers and comics who are just sharing, you know, sharing their stories or sharing um, what would be, you know, a feature or an article or even an investigative piece or something, you know, um, in, a, in a print or online magazine, but live. Um, but yeah, it was cool. I don't know, Sarah, what did you think when you went to the performance that you saw? It was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. It was about like, 
tech and sex and oh. how like they they showed these like internet wired sex toys for long distance relationships and I mean, that's the only one I remember it like really <laughs> <laughs> why would that stick in your head <laughs> um they did like a like a erotic play that was written all in emojis that was like really cute oh. um yeah those those events are put on really well yeah yeah I guess uh what else is going on? Um, I went to the Poets and Writers Literary Roundtable meeting in Long Beach. Uh, I guess that was a week and a half ago now. And it was great. They had someone from the California Center for the Book show up and talk about um, library programming and sort of the work that they're doing to try to you know, bring um, literary programming to rural libraries, which is you know, important. Um, and I came away like wondering like, okay, what can we do at Bookswell to do more to help libraries publicize their events? Because there's so many happening every day and we haven't even really scratched the surface with that. So um, I came away like with a lot of ideas and super jazzed about that. Um, the discussion did kind of get derailed at one point where um, the topic of safe spaces came up and um, a few of the kind of older white writers spoke up and said they didn't feel included in some of the programming. And um, they kind of, you know, meandered from there. And it was a pretty diverse group that was there. So it kind of felt like, okay, well, why are these folks airing their grievances when, you know, if all of us were to air grievances, we might all have a lot to say. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it ended on a good note. I think some people learned about, about safe spaces. And what else? Oh, I, I read um, Hood Educated by Roxana Preciado, and she'll be the interviewee on the next segment in this podcast. And it's a similar to Jelaine Lee's uh, book, Not My White Savior. It is a memoir in poetry, and it recounts um, a lot of her life experience, which when, when the full you know, heft of it becomes clear, it's really amazing um, what she's done with her life. So... Um, she was an undocumented immigrant when she was very young to the U.S., um, is a survivor of child abuse, is, has been homeless at various points in her life, has overcome addiction. And so I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to talking with her about um, sort of writing and how that helps move past and heal from trauma. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I feel like... I don't know. I was I was um, at Skylight the other night, and I went into her reading. Um, this author, Julie Oranger, who had a really famous book called The Invisible Bridge, and I remember it being a really big deal. I don't know, ten years ago, maybe more. And um, her new book, The Flight Portfolio, was out, and it's gotten good reviews. Apparently, it's sort of really incredible. It's amazing. It's about like. Um, guy who saved Jews during the Holocaust, basically, at, almost at the cost of his own life, uh, a real person, and she did a lot of amazing historical research. Um, but the crowd was really small, and I was just thinking, like, it's just so interesting that, you know, she was, like, a big-name author at one point, and now it's just, like, fewer people are reading. It's not like her writing changed. I mean, she's always written about the same themes, but there's less, it just seems like there's less of an audience or less excitement, and... Hmm. I don't know. I just I wonder. I feel that's just like anecdotal evidence, but I just I wonder if other if other authors have seen this the same effect on their yeah. readership and on their writing. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I saw 
some stuff online this weekend. I didn't go to Pasadena Lit Fest. Um, I had plans on Saturday, and then by the time Sunday rolled around, I didn't feel great, so I didn't go. But um, from what I've heard, including from Sakaya Manning, one of our advisory group members, it was pretty amazing in terms of the just the amount of really talented authors that they pulled together. And I, I need to ask some folks, like, how was attendance this year? Um, I usually can't make it. Uh, I've only been to one of them a couple years ago, but it was great. I, I really enjoyed myself. So uh, maybe next year. <laughs> I just feel like I, the more I read, the more it just feels like Trump is like the black hole of the, that's just like sucking in all of mm -hmm. the media attention. So it's harder for artists, even really talented ones and really successful ones, to get the same sort of attention that, that yeah. they might have. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think about that even just in terms of my own reading practices. I mean, part of it's, I think, just that I'm tired and often <laughs> just choose Netflix. <laughs> but um, I actually, you know, it's like, actually, it's not true that I haven't been reading. I've been reading a lot, but I just end up reading obsessively, like, online, like, reading mm -hmm. the news, reading, like, think pieces on current events mm -hmm. and what's happening and just trying to process and digest, like, all of those things all the time. I mean, I think I actually end up reading time-wise maybe you know more than um i have in other periods of my life but you know it doesn't register mm -hmm. to me as reading it's kind of funny that you you know just yeah. like hearing you talk about that now because um i just like, think about it as like this is just me going to my day <laughs> it's like an iv or something yeah, just, like, text. Totally <laughs> um, i feel like the proportion of reading that i do that is very enjoyable or like nourishing or like good mm -hmm. is low you know, there was, I read the news every day. I read this art, one article today, like stood out as like, oh, this is great. It was about how LA is using um, huge reservoirs of water moving back and forth to balance out power usage between the night and the day, mm -hmm. effectively using these water reservoirs as batteries mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, excess power during the day is used to pump the water uphill. And then at night it goes through the hydroelectric generators and provides power at night. Um, and that was like, wow, this is like really interesting. This feels like the future. It feels like something's happening that's good in the world, <laughs> but it's like one drop in a very, very big bucket. Um, but for me, fiction is where I'm finding that like solace. Um, I've been reading a lot of poetry. I, I, it doesn't have that um, element for me, I think, because it doesn't have the story. Um, and story is what really gets me every time. I find myself sometimes really wanting fiction that isn't taking on the current moment, but is taking on like the longer story of humanity, like almost like more archetypal issues instead mm -hmm. of just the singular sort of problem that we're all mm -hmm. facing right now as a country. Um, Have you read any Kim Stanley Robinson? I have, what, 2046? Is that his newest book? I have it. Okay. I haven't read it. Some critics would associate him with the humanist sci-fi movement. I think he's uh, an author who kind of, you know, maybe stands on his own in terms of like creating his own thing. Um, but a lot of his um, fiction is about realistically where could we find ourselves if the better parts of our nature were um, to rise to the top. <laughs> and, and I think that that, you know, kind of optimism, but also kind of hard realism is is nice. <laughs> it's a nice break from kind of dismal stuff. And I, 
you know, I see a lot of dystopian fiction still coming out, and I'm like, how can anyone read that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it feels too much like a roadmap to our future <laughs> rather than like something to be avoided, you know. But I definitely have been turning to science fiction, like mm. Ted Ch- Ted Chang, who wrote the story that Arrival is based on, has a new collection coming out. Um, or is out called Exhalation. Yes. Which I'm very excited mm. about. Yeah, I think he may have a reading coming up. He um, does. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's something mm-hmm. you should try to go to that. Yeah, I will. When is it? I'm going to look on the calendar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would love to hear that. Yeah. No rush because we can always just. Go <laughs> um, June 11th at 7 30 p.m. At Skylight. That's at coming Skylight. up soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe it's already June. It's summer. Oh my god. <laughs> it's not quite summer yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any other events that you're looking forward to? My So there's um, a woman who I went to um, college with, uh, Mika Irkins. Um, she and I both worked on the Literary Mag while we were up at San Francisco State University. Um, and she's got a new book out called All Ships Follow Me. And she's got a ton of readings around. I think maybe there's been one at Diesel already and there's one at Romans and Skylight. Um, so she's like really doing the full circuit. And it's a sort of family memoir about her family kind of being on both sides of World War II um, in Europe and her kind of um, with her parents going back to kind of investigate that history. Um, what else? There's a short story collection called Lot by Brian Washington. Yeah. About Houston. Um, it's queer men of color living in Houston and, and coming of age. Um, he had a short story in The New Yorker that was really amazing. I bought that book based on that short story. And I have it sitting on my desk right now. Um, I'm going to get into it the second I have some free time. <laughs> Which is less now that you have a new writing gig. <laughs> so this secret writing job, uh, what can you say about it? Um, I can say I got my first off writing job on a TV show, Ooh. which is very exciting. Um, and I will say more about it down the line. <laughs> but it is something, so you're writing a show based on a book. It's yeah. an ad- adaptation. Mm-hmm. That's got to be really fascinating. Yeah, based on a really fantastic novel. I'm very excited about well, we'll check in more as soon as more <laughs> information can be shared. Well, Sarah and Irene, thank you so much for being here and look forward to next time. Thank you. See you next time. Roxana Preciado is an indie author and artist recognized for her work as a poet and activist. Born in Jalisco, Mexico, she immigrated to the U.S. at four years old and has been writing poetry since the age of 12. Preciado uses her poetry and her story to support community engagement and activism around DACA and, as a survivor, to raise awareness about violence against women. She often speaks to Latinx and LGBTQ youth to help them find their voice and tell their stories. Preciado is completing her graduate degree while continuing her advocacy work. She currently resides in Los Angeles, California with her wife and son. I met up with Roxana at Cal State LA to talk to her about her writing and her advocacy. This is the Bookswell Podcast. I'm Cody Sisko, and I'm here with Roxana Preciado. Roxana, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me, Cody. So um, I was originally put in touch with you via Sakaya Manning. Um, Sakaya is one of our advisory board members, and she's one of the best connectors I know. So um, when she told me about um, your books and your writing um, that I needed to check it out, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm on this. Um, 
and then we got to connect at the homocentric reading. Yeah. Yeah, it was really nice seeing you there. That was uh, new to me, and she connected me to Hank as well for the homocentric thing. And she's been very supportive, and she's definitely that, on top of being incredibly uh, talented as a writer. Yeah. She's a great human being. Yeah. What did, um, how did you feel about the reading? Um, it was interesting. It was out of my comfort zone. Um, as far as me reading, I, it's reading my pretty much my diary out loud. And so every time it feels like I'm bleeding in front of people because it's raw uh, and it's stories out of my life and my reality. So it's not meant to entertain. It's meant to um, kind of share my experience as a woman of color, as a queer woman of color, and as many things because that's what I am, many things. Yeah, and it's your uh, Hood Educated is your third book, right? Hood Educated, yes. It's my latest book and my third book. It's a collection of uh, my experience in higher education, um, my journey after three consecutive years of therapy, and just me growing as a person, evolving, and kind of my reflections on social political things that are happening in my various communities, and my experience in higher education coming from poverty and being an immigrant and, um, you know, coming from so much, overcoming homelessness and a multitude of tragedy and trying to give hope to those people in my community to tell them that if I can do this, they should just, they should give themselves a chance because they can exceed my accomplishments. What are your thoughts on sort of the, the power of writing in order to heal? I think that it's crucial for me. It was literally what what saved my life. From the age of 12, I've been writing, and um, when I had nothing else, when I was living in the streets as a teenager, when my family, uh, my mother specifically, rejecting me for coming out, um, and I had nothing, I could write. And it was one of the ways that I helped myself and, and tried to survive. And at first it was a survival tool, then it turned into a healing tool, mm -hmm. and now I teach that. Um, you know, within my practice, um, when I do see clients, I try to talk to them about the healing um, process of journaling, writing, and just creativity in general. Uh, we forget as people to stay in touch with our humanity. We get caught up in everything that society throws at us. But if you just take it down to basics, to simplicity, there is not only wisdom in simplicity, but there's a sense of peace and we can heal ourselves through that, through writing. At least I believe that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And your first two books, tell me more about those. Uh, well, my very first book, I was working at a burger joint, flipping burgers, cleaning toilets, and I um, became, um, I was, I had just become a legal resident, and this is back in 2000. Uh, late 2015, and when I came out and told my story about, you know, surviving so much, I realized as I opened up and was genuine about who I was and vulnerable and open, there was so many people echoing the same reality, and it hit me. I thought, these are not, this is not just my story, it is our story, and it needs to be told because the reason we feel so alone and hopeless is because none of us are talking about this. 
um, once we come out of tragedy, all you want to do is just, you know, enjoy your, your hard work and happiness, but uh, why would you want to go back and relive that? But I felt that with privilege comes responsibility, and I took it upon myself to do just that, to share my story, even though it was incredibly painful. So the quickest way I was able to do that was to collect my journals from the age of 12 to 2016, which is when I published my first book, Not a Fairy Tale. And I composed, I put it together like a story. So I put it together by uh, chronological years and um, talked about what I went through. And then my second book, Not a Writer, was um, uh, 2018, I believe. Two years later um, was my experience in graduate school. And that's when I just was in the middle of my healing process. And it was kind of making peace with who I was and entering a new world. And what does that mean? And there was a lot of conflict. If you look at, if you have, if you read that book, Not a Writer, you can see so much pain and you can see the transitioning, the growth. And now Hood Educated is uh, me making peace with all the different parts of myself and putting it together as a whole. How did you decide on the title, Not a Writer? Because after publishing um, Not a Fairy Tale, of course you're gonna have a lot of support and encouragement because you're being brave, or at least that's what I'm being told. Mm -hmm. But then there are also those who are, uh, you know, through, you know, maybe they don't have life experience or maybe they don't have um, enough empathy to keep an open mind. I don't know what it is, but there are those who don't support me and who don't like that I speak out, mm -hmm. that they find it almost offensive or inappropriate, the subjects that I, ta that I talk about. And, um, you know, I make them almost uncomfortable. And some of the feedback that I got from those people uh, while I was still flipping burgers and writing not a, not a writer, working on not a writer was, um, who to, can I, can I cuss? Uh, who the fuck does she think she is? It's, she's so ridiculous, she's pathetic, she's, she's not a writer, can she even speak English? Can she even write in English? So she's, you know, that kind of feedback was so painful. She's not a real writer was basically uh, one of the things that someone said to me um, at work and it was so painful and I thought, yeah, you know what? you're right, I'm not a writer, because I'm a lot of things, I'm many things, but at that point I thought, whatever your definition of a writer is, if I don't fit that, then fine, I'm not a writer, but I have the right to speak and you're not gonna silence me. I remember one of the poems in Hood Educated is uh, a thank you to your critics for making you as strong as you are to have something to overcome. Not that you needed more things to overcome, but uh, yeah. I, I remember that um, that piece. So now that now that you have these three books out, do you feel like you've found yet your tribe? I, I feel like in LA there must be um, queer women of color writers who have undergone traumatic experiences. Like you must have. I hope that you've found uh, you know other writers that you can bond with and go through this with? Well, uh, yes, I've met other writers and um, I really don't submerge myself in the writing world. I feel almost like I almost don't belong. And so I have met like-minded people. They're not necessarily writers, but they are part of my various communities, whether it be the queer community or, uh, you know, Latino community. Um, I have found 
supporters and um, people that are like-minded that embrace me and that accept me for who I am, a flawed human being. And that felt really good. Coming out and being genuine and being honest about who I was was the most terrifying thing I've ever done, but it was the most satisfying thing I've ever done as well. So though uh, my friend put it best, uh, he said, um, you became a beacon of hope, but you also with that put a target on your back and they, you cannot have one without the other. Mm. And that is the best way to put it. That's great, yeah. Um, well, I hope the LA writing community uh, becomes to feel more welcoming. Um, I know what it's like to be an outsider, and um, you can't, I, my approach has been to just show up and do my thing and hopefully uh, continue to do my thing and not let anything stop me. Um, but it can be, especially as an indie author and publisher, uh, it can be tough because it seems that um, not just the economics of it, but also just the like um, the social rules around writing are around acceptance and being you know being part of the club. Yeah. And for some people who find being part of a club difficult. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like, but maybe we can just do this together, and I don't have to be part of your club, right? Like. Um, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, we must be friends. And I'm like, well, we can all, we can all work together. We don't have to like each other. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's various levels of it. Like, obviously, I found a group that I you know, am you know, very close with and feel like at this point they're almost family. But um, it can, yeah, there's plenty of other you know, um, people who I feel like are um, maybe a bit defensive about their own position in the in the you know field of writing or about their own writing and um, you know it's uh, that's unfortunate I I agree with the, with what you're saying Mike that's why I kind of stay away and only when I'm um, when I'm invited or feel like there's a space uh, for me then I kind of go like when I went to homocentric I didn't know what to expect I was really afraid and it was very loving embracing positive environment I felt you know, no judgment. I felt, um, you know, supported, and um, that—that's the kind of environment that I want, where I can be creative, be myself, and you know, no judgment on my part. I'm nobody to judge someone else. So all I expect is a little piece of humanity in exchange. If I'm kind and, you know, non-judgmental towards you, and I want to hear about you and your creativity let me do the same. There's space for all of us, not, my writing isn't going to resonate with everyone, just like your writing won't resonate with everyone. It doesn't mean that we don't have the right to write. Yeah, and to be heard. Exactly, yeah. there, there, is, there, there is an audience for all of us. We are not alone, we are not the only ones. So why can't we all create? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what are you working on next? I'm, um, right now, since I finished my second year of grad school uh, for marriage and family therapy, which again, part of the reason why I have a hard time um, kind of connecting, I feel, is because I have no training whatsoever in writing. I write freely without ever taking into consideration the rules. Um, I know that information is a, a click away on the internet, and yet I don't take it upon myself to 
uh, look up proper format styles of poetry. I just write stories about my, that's how I started and that feels good. And so how could someone tell me how to create? And I know that there are rules and everything for everything, but I don't want to do it. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like you're making your own forms. Yeah, and that's, I mean, the act of creation itself is a beautiful one, so. And, and so now I'm just working on um, my newest pieces. I feel like after all my experiences, I just got to a point where I just want to love myself and accept myself as I am. And it doesn't mean I need a, um, it doesn't mean I'm right. It just means I'm trying to find my own path. And so this new book that I'm working on already, I don't know the title of it, but um, pretty much it's just going to be my confessions without apologies. And now that I'm finishing up my grad program, I feel like um, I don't have to be so, like, keep up any more kind of appropriate lines because there was to some degree I was still being careful about what I said. Mm -hmm. And so now it's just like, I don't give a fuck. It's, pre it's pretty much what I'm saying. Roxana unfiltered. Yes, that's pretty much it. And yeah. Looking forward to that. I want to ask you about the writing process because the material of your life that you're working with and, and recording and reacting to, it seems like there's a high price to pay with revisiting these painful moments in your life. So what does it take to revisit these and turn them into something beautiful? Well, it's a very emotional process. Every time that I write, um, you know, sometimes I have trouble sleeping. I just make sure that I'm taking care of myself, that I have scheduled appointments with my therapist. And um, it's very emotional. I, I wrote a, a piece about it in um, Hood Educated that kind of reflected that. It feels like, um, I believe the line says, um, masochists voluntarily opening wounds just to speak truth, the typical life of a throwaway youth. Mm -hmm. And that's the beginning of it. And that's literally what it is. I feel like a masochist, you know? I'm voluntarily opening old wounds or voluntarily, you know, talking about what I'm going through, my, my deepest pains, my, uh, my biggest shames, you know? We all have shame and I feel, um, admitting to my vulnerabilities uh, almost feels a little, you know, it, it, it's very painful and it can be shameful because I talk about my weaknesses and what I go through. And um, as I write, I need to take breaks. Um, of course, I cry a lot. <laughs> but um, at the end, I keep in mind that I'm echoing a lot of people's realities. And I just really hope that somebody picks that up and even if it's just one person, um, they pick it up and they see that everybody is, um, you know, capable of falling deep, capable of darkness, capable of good, and that they're not alone, and that, you know, they can still strive to be better. There's such a range of emotion, um, anger, hopelessness, resentment, forgiveness, joy. Um, it really feels like the human experience as you're showing us in these poems. Yeah, there's, that's because I, I say this a lot, but it couldn't be more true. 
I think that people are very complex human beings. When you want to be, when you don't want to just grow old, when you want to evolve, right? There's a difference. And you have to dig deep and look at the every single part of you. And what I found, at least in myself, is that I am many things. I am an, um, you know, the artist part of me is very different than, um, you know, the therapist in me or the activist in me or the advocate in me. Like, you know, these, there's all these different parts of me. And um, that's why you see such extremes. So when I'm talking about, um, like in Hood Educated, I tried to do that. Um, the book is kind of set up in sections, and the preface talks about the whole and their parts. Yeah. And the whole book is like, the beginning is, you know, um, part one, and, and it's like the activist, the advocate, the, the immigrant, the this, the that, and then it kind of goes into the graduate student. And then there's a section where it's, um, you know, the girl in me, the child in me, the the survivor in me, and that's when I kind of talk about uh, my mother finally forgiving my mother, seeing her, seeing her for who she is, a complex human being who tried her best, and um, I forgive her. It doesn't mean that I take away the blame, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I do forgive her, and I talk about my siblings and. Um, the tragedy that they fell on and um, how we're different and my goodbyes to my family um, of origin. And I also dig deep into, you know, when I was assaulted and um, talk a little bit about that because I never spoke about that so straightforward. Um, The poem, I titled it caution explicit content because as I wrote it I couldn't think of a single title that would be good enough to talk about surviving an attack there isn't a word for me Um, throughout the book I got the feeling that um, at sometimes you wrestle with different types of self-talk and that sometimes you know the things we hear about ourselves which are negative become part of our how we talk to ourselves um, and how changing that way of talking to ourselves is important to reclaim our identity and not be what other people see us as. Yes, 100%. I think that all of us have that little voice in our head that tells us uh, what we are not, that convinces us that we are, you know, um, not smart enough, not good enough, not talented enough, not a good enough for me, not a good enough writer, not a good enough student, not a good enough anything. And so, um, yeah, it convinces you of that. And for me, it causes a lot of anxiety. But um, I sometimes on, on good days, I, I'm able to think clearly and remember that that's just negative self-talk because the reality is I am smart enough and I am... Um, a good enough and I am worthy of love and acceptance flawed as I am and just kind of you know shutting down that those voices in the piece um, I think bully I describe those negative self-talk as a bully because it's our own personal bully that just tortures us right and the very last line in that poem is um, the bully will never die but I will be louder than him and I am not perfect, not by anything, but it is my imperfections that make me human. And being human feels amazing. Being 
in touch with my humanity feels amazing. And I am fucking tired of pretending and pretending to be this and that. I don't want to. And I refuse to. And if and if I have to be, it's it's kind of funny. I thought I would, you know, by being myself, I thought I would lose a lot of people. And I did. And I thought that would feel so lonely. But it doesn't because the people that do come around me, they're thankful that I'm like that because then they in turn get to be themselves, human, flawed, without judgment. That's amazing. Kind of want to applaud right now. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk again soon, I hope. Yes. And keep writing. And you don't have to be like anybody else. Be yourself 100%. And I can't wait to keep reading some of your work, Cody. Hello Intersections listeners, Shannon Egan here. June is Pride Month, so I'm going to be focusing on some wonderful events featuring LGBTQ authors in the first two weeks of June. First up, we have the 31st Annual Lambda Literary Awards Finalists Reading. It's Friday, May 31st at 7 p.m. Local Lambda finalists will be reading selections from their nominated works. The Lambda Literary Awards identify and celebrate the best lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender books of the year. Authors include Kazim Ali, Genevieve Hudson, Steve McIsaac, Tommy Pico, and Mark Russell. We recently interviewed Patrick Nathan, who is also a Lambda Literary Award finalist, on a past episode of Intersections. If you haven't yet, be sure to check that out. This free event will be held at the West Hollywood City Council Chambers and is part of the wonderful WeHo Read series. On Saturday, June 1st at 5 p.m., Mason Funk will discuss his new nonfiction release, The Book of Pride, at Skylight Books. Funk is the founder and executive director of Outwards, an award-winning nonprofit that records and documents the remarkable history of LGBTQ people all over the United States. This book pairs interviews alongside beautiful pictures, shining a spotlight on the individuals on the front lines of the fight for equality and acceptance from the 1960s and beyond. And finally, Friday, June 7th at 7 p.m., Book Soup will host Judith V. Brandsburg to discuss The Liberation of Ivy Bottini, a memoir of love and activism. Bottini got her start with the National Organization of Women, NOW, movement, and the second wave of feminism. She helped to found the NOW New York chapter. She eventually moved to Los Angeles, where she became an LGBT activist, founding AIDS Network LA, and creating the first-ever gay and lesbian radio show to air on a major broadcast network. This is her own story, in her own words, as told to Brandsburg, and it sounds like she led a truly fascinating life. How are you celebrating Pride Month? You know you can count on Bookswell to shine a light on the many literary events featuring LGBTQ authors. Just head to our website, bookswell.club, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram, at Bookswell Club. Thanks for listening.